everybody. Welcome to Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I'm your host, Chris Cosentino. We are here to talk about people that inspire. And all my guests are inspiring in so many different ways. And I'm really looking forward to digging deep into how they got to where they are, to the top of their game, how hard they've worked, how much they've given up, and how they're giving back. So without further ado, here's our next guest. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I am super stoked uh, to have a good friend that we go, I would say, pretty far back. Because if I recall, we met at a bar in San Francisco like 25 years ago. Uh, my good friend, Jamie Oliver. Welcome, Jamie. Thank you for taking time out of your crazy schedule. How you doing, man? It's, it's really good to see you uh, in the flesh through Zoom. Um, and uh, yeah, look, it's a, it's a pleasure to chat, man. I'm thinking about the first time we first met. I, I I could have sworn we met at a farmer's market. I we, took did, you to the farmer's market, actually. Right. I met you at Tosca, and you were having a drink at Tosca. And was I sober? You were totally sober, actually. You were coming <laughs> in to have an Irish coffee, and you were with, oh, God, uh, who was it? Her brother oh. is Lord of the Balls. Uh, oh, Andy the Gas Man. No, 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 no. Oh, Not no, uh, Tessa, Tessa. Tessa, you were with there Tessa. And yeah. I told you I would take you to the farmer's market the next day. And we toured the market the next day. And ever yeah. since then, we've... So how long did you reckon that was? 20 years? Yeah, it had to have been. Yeah. That was a long time ago. So There's a lot of, lot of water under the bridge. For sure. So I really want to talk about, you know, you really catapulted into the world with teaching people how to cook simply, cook at home, cook healthfully. And I want to you to talk about how that started, how that all came to be, because I don't think people realize where it all started for you and how you got to where you are now. Yeah, I mean, God, there's, there's a few ways to start it, really. I mean, first of all, getting on TV was just luck. I wasn't even supposed to be. I was seen in the background of a documentary uh, at the River Cafe. I wasn't even supposed to be working that night. So I was called in because someone went sick. Um, so... That was an interesting one. And when I I, I just got, I, I, I gladly went in because I grew up in the restaurant industry and um, and I didn't want to let the team down. So I um, I got there kind of about two, three hours late for shift to 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 catch up for my colleague that didn't turn up. And the crew was there in the way. But luckily, I was working on a really interesting section. Uh, we used to call it Hots 2. So it's where we used to do all the fresh pasta, ravioli, the frito misto and anything slow cooked. So basically I was sort of knocking out food very, very, very quickly as, as I know, you know. Um, so for the TV crew, it was, it was amazing because literally in two minutes you'd, you'd go from zero to a finished dish on the plate going out to the pass. Um, and it was quite tight and they were in the way and it was quite, an, you know, it's quite a nice vibe going on. Um, but I didn't know anything about TV at all. Um, and then the kind of concept of teaching I don't know, look, you know this as a leader and, and someone, you know, at, at nearly all levels apart from the bottom, you have to train someone under you to 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 run a department or a section and set up for service and 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 be methodical and and be consistent. And um I kind of done that from probably I reckon about the age of 13. Um my mum and dad ran a really great gastro pub that I, I didn't really realise how good it was until I became a chef and I moved to London. But um it was seven chefs uh minimum five on a shift um seven on a on a busy night um and uh, we had a pastry department everything from scratch um butchered whole animals you know filleted fish didn't buy anything done in um 
And from the age of about 13, I started working in there when I was about eight. And probably about 13, I was running starters or veg. Um, and then you'd kind of get 21-year-old students out of college turn up. And the head chef would just push them on me. So I'm 13. <laughs> and then you got this big hairy ass 21 year old that was kind of like von vulnerable to the kitchen but definitely not to me so I do remember like I first started developing my teaching skills um I realized very quickly that I'd get my ass kicked if I was cocky or disrespectful because they like 21 year olds look massive when you're 13 14 and they've got hair growing out so parts of your body that you didn't even knew existed, right? So um, I, I, I just did my best to make them feel like they were leading the way and I was just helping them. And, you know, um, I'd talk them through the menu and do the mise en place and try and set it out for service. So it wasn't just everywhere, but like there was a real flow, like from left to right, there's everything you'd need to make, you know, uh, the parfait brioche dish. And then, you know, and anything that was kind of a hots was all laid out the same way. So um, we were pretty busy, you know, we do like uh, 80 covers in the restaurant and about 180 in the bar. Um, you know, that's good covers. Right. And it was, it was quite a high level of cooking. I mean, the cooking was unbelievably similar to St. John's um you know it, it slightly more fancy um in, in a kind of i guess old english french kind of uh traditional sense i actually found i found a, a menu um the other day from 1980 um so it was just before my time and it was you know it was kind of like let me I, i'll give you a little heads up now actually i just i literally just by pure luck found this the other day and um when i tell you the price per head you're going to you're going to laugh your head off. So first of all, that's, that's what um, is blurring my thing out of the bloody uh, that oh God, I've got a so funny blurry thing on. Um, I'll text it to you, but um, it was handwritten menu by my mum. So we had like smoked salmon with, you know, prawns and caviar and cucumber salad. You know, it's like pretty cool, right? It's nine. This is 1980 terrine of chicken liver parfait. Uh, there was smoked mackerel with French beans and mustard salad. Um, we've got um, Arbroaf Smokies, you know, it's, you know, on the main courses, it's like there's so much protein. It's like a prime local venison with black cherry and port wine sauce, tornadoes of beef, Madeira sauce, Madeira sauce, pate and foie gras. I mean, it's hardcore. So this like. is stuff that you're cooking as like a 13 year old kid. You're yeah, man. Barnsley chops, lemon sole, whole baby chicken, sirloin steak i don't they weren't balancing menus in those days but guess how much that was for three courses and and there was and i'm telling you dude the the dessert trolley was all made on site about 13 choices guess how much that was for three courses 15 quid 10 70 and the coffee no. was, the, the coffee the coffee was extra it was 30 pence <laughs> so that's the vibe man so that was my childhood but really my teaching was or my style of teaching which hopefully is clear descriptive and hopefully not patronizing was developed teaching those ex those students who were coming in to not kick my ass basically that was, <laughs> that was the aim because also I spent a lot of time around that age if I was remotely cocky to the chefs I'd be put in a freezer I'd be in a chest freezer and they just sit on top for five minutes like you know <laughs> uh, the chefs are too you know they, they they would take you to court now and, and you'd be oh, in yeah. jail 
You'd be in jail um, for the. For the- I, they all my clothes. They used to get. They just make damp and put in the freezer. But they put it in the freezer exactly as it would hang in gravity. So I go to get changed at the end of a shift, and I go and grab my clothes that look completely normal, but it was all frozen solid. Um, I'd I'd like you know I'd have I'd get at the end of shift, and I, I'm like 13, 14 at this stage, and there would be clothes pegs. You know, you put on a on a on a washing line. Yeah. There'd be clothes. There'd be like. 400 clothes pegs on my back that I didn't know about. And, uh, and often signs, you know, just saying, you know, wanker, you know, you know, just call me an arsehole. And I wondered why everyone was calling me an arsehole all day. And I just like, just a sign on my back saying, just call me an arsehole. And (laughs) (laughs) it was, you know, it was, they kind of like, I mean, you know, you know, you were low end of the totem pole. The age was, they knew they could get away with it. So they just did it. Yeah. And, uh, and you know it was uh, it was a really good kitchen um uh it was the conversation and the rudeness was fantastic um you know and um definitely armed me to be resilient enough to put i mean you know you've done your fair share of tv it it throws a lot of hurdles at you and a lot of stress at you and and for for a lot of talented chefs out there um respectively like I mean, I've just done three days of doing sort of Good Morning America and, and you know, uh, The View and, and sort of Colbert, uh, Colbert. And it's like, there's nothing like having a plan. And then you go from a seven minute spot to a four and a half minute spot. And you've got a really bad electric hob and you've got no chance of cooking stuff. I mean, it's I literally- I do recall moments of you and I cooking outside at the ferry building at 4 yeah. in the morning for yeah. you to have a second. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really, it's tricky. It it's, is. To, to be, to because be TV doesn't really care about like integrity or the right ingredient or, you know, like they just want you to kind of get in, do jazz hands and get out. And, and obviously my job's to do that, but also make sense. And you know, like that, we had. A, I turned up for a gig the other day this week in in New York, and and they had the worst electric hob, um, that was half the size of the pan that was on it. And I'm like, this is never going to work. And so I just had to do the swap outs and uh, try and work around it. But we pulled it off in the end. I mean, you know, and I say this all the time to cooks, and I say it to my son. The measure of your success is how you deal with problems. Yeah, for sure. Right, and I think that's what the restaurant industry is, is just constantly things being thrown at you. Like somebody doesn't show up, product doesn't arrive on time, dish yeah. machine breaks, drain backs yeah. up. How do you deal with that and still not let it affect the final product and the guests experience? Mm. Look, it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, it is a living, breathing product. Right. And, yeah. and, and, and that's the food and, 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 and probably rightfully so like a lot of focus gets put on the food, but of course, probably more powerful than the food is just like how you were greeted how you were looked after by your server and and yeah. uh, the atmosphere in the room you know you of course ideally you want it all to work but um you know managing customers and and cus- customers really are uh incre- incredibly uh they can be the most incredible thing on the planet or just literally the worst um and uh you have to scan you know you have to be aware of all the nuances of people being happy when they arrive, you know, the kind of married couple that are really not happy. Like there's no way they're going to have a good time. And and you have to break the ice and try and put them on the right track for a good night. I mean, it's, it's the best and worst industry on the planet. <laughs> and, 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 uh, but I also think that, 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 
that makes it beautiful as well. Like it's not cookie cuttered. And and um, I don't really remember many services when everything was perfect. It's like this. It's always needs to be polished and perfected. And 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 you know. And and sometimes if you do get close to perfection, uh, you probably end up with like a menu that hasn't changed for too long. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you look at a lot of the Michelin star guys you know, classically would have a menu that runs for a season or or at least a month, uh, if not more. And and so like for me, when when we worked at 15 or, you know, when I ran that or, or when I worked at the River Cafe, we were changing new menus twice a day, every day, seven days a week. All upon availability. And I think that to me is like, and let's talk about 15 a little bit and that, I mean, who came through there? Like yeah. Derek Damon, uh, yeah. of course, John Relihan, who came to me, the first trainee yeah. to come to the United States. Yeah, um, you had some incredible talent in there, um, and you you created a whole new program that really I think you know. I remember coming over, spending a week with you, picking the trainee to come to the United States, working mm. in kitchen with all of them. Um, I'll never forget the day. I think that was the same week I was there when Alice introduced her daughter Fanny to the yes the illustrious cast and crew of 15 which erupted into hysterical laughter because for folks out there who don't know saying fanny in england is pretty similar to saying see you next tuesday in the states yeah 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 i remember <laughs> oh man yeah we look we were blessed we had some incredible chefs come through us i mean one of my uh head chefs um Greg, uh, you know, his nickname was Frenchie and, you know, he's oh, you know, forgot about Frenchie, of and course. Frenchie's, you know, got some incredible restaurants in Paris and London now. And, and yeah, and I, they're all good, good gals and guys. And, and I think we, we had a place that was safe and that had thick culture. And, and there was this extra, um, 15 was interesting because, because, we didn't have conventional profit. I mean, we had profit, but the profit all went to train young underprivileged children. So the profit was all spent on these kids and therefore the profit was the kids uh, and the graduates. And um, it's magic. I mean, we ran that for 17 years uh, in London, uh, 14 years in Cornwall, 14 years in Amsterdam. Uh, I think we might have made three years in Australia. <laughs> Australia Australia uh, didn't quite go according to pan. It ended up... Um, <laughs> oh, I think something like the general manager stole all the weekend's takings and had an addiction problem and then burnt the whole place down. So that was, oh you know, God. I mean, it's, it's that like was Toby, something, right? That was Toby Puddock. Yeah, well, it wasn't him that did that. Just to be no, clear. I mean, Toby, he, he, Toby yeah. was running the pro. The yeah, kitchen. yeah. Toby was doing a fine job as well. Um, and um, and I still speak to Toby all the time. Um, but yeah, no, our 15 was very special. It was, I mean, for myself, being able to come and spend time with you and the crew and and Frenchie and 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 Derek and and that whole team was just an, an eye-opening gosh I was there for like three weeks if I if I I even got to attend your holiday party Mate, you, you became part of the family that was that, <laughs> that, that that was great but also it was um you know I you were kind of going on your own trajectory about like who am I and what am I as a chef and that that was for me a, a, a pleasure to watch because um you were really interested in, in everything but you know things like St John were quite interesting to you but you didn't want to do that you wanted to do your version of that and I never forget that 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 whole nose to tail eating and and I remember coming over to your restaurant uh, in San Francisco and John Relihan who was one of my graduates was working for you and, and doing quite well if I remember rightly even very quickly and, and had a 
very much bonded with you at like a like a brother and i just watched him for 20 minutes because he couldn't see me i was just watching from like slightly above um running the section and i literally my head was going back to that 13 year old like looking at how he just laid out the section it was clean it was methodical there was all kinds of finishing work happening and there was pickles and smoke and flame and he was like he, when when he was working like he was still a young chef wasn't he it was like oh, he was he, he was he, green, he, green you could tell he was at home in that kitchen he was at home in that kitchen and and every move wasn't a wasted there was no wasted energy there was like it was like a little dance happening i was so proud so he, proud he's gone on to do such great things and you know, I feel really fortunate to have been just a, a minute part of that that time that that he had, and where he's going now is just incredible. Yeah, no, I think it's and, and it's interesting and and kind of worth talking about. I think for a second, like um, when people talk about the restaurant industry, like you know, there's um, you know what, why, and 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 I think like awards you know whether it's michelin stars or any other kind of acknowledgement there's kind of like buildings design architecture you know reputation like the hottest new spot in town you know all around that kind of world of ego and i think it's it's really interesting because deep down actually none of that makes any difference in the long run nothing what does make a difference is for senior chefs and owners like yourself and, and many other others around the world it's hours and hours and hours of training training artisanal training um and i obviously i got to employ john again after he'd spent several years with you so we then like not that we couldn't but it it wouldn't make sense to just rip off your recipes because that's not the it's actually, I think it's quite hard to rip off people's recipes because if you're a real cook, you've got too many opinions to just rip off someone's recipes. Like if I gave you my recipe, you'd end up putting slightly different things on it and twisting that and going for a bit more of that vibe or that vibe. And so, but we were able to benefit from that body of work that you taught him. And then he came to Barbacoa, which was a beast of a business, a yes. beast. And it was all fire. And, um, you know, we had, you know, smokers and and ash pits and tandoors and rabata grills and all these cool fire sources of cooking and and but john was able to you know there was a little bit of your restaurant sort of seamlessly going through dishes in there and, and that's that's the, but that's being a chef isn't it you kind of you're you're basically like a mosaic a little patchwork quilt of experiences and um actually i had a chef yesterday at the book signing um american kid he's like look i've just graduated at college can you give me any advice and i'm like dude you're young like just go and do a year at any place that inspires you like and just just build relationships work hard and tell them how long you want to be there uh, as soon as you get there so you don't upset anyone and 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 bounce around brilliant people that are inspirational and what's inspirational to me might be different from you like if you want to have like super flash food like go down that line for sure um if you want to kind of have something a little bit more rustic that's kind of got loads of integrity then crack on down that and you know so and it's interesting isn't it when you're a young chef because it's i think particularly if you're a male young chef like you, you have to kind of push away quite a lot of natural hormones and ego to get to like what do you actually want and um you know i think you know even what I love about 15 is all those kids came out being very different, even though they've been trained the same. 
they and they not only came out different but they also went off to work in different places and to this day still work in a myriad of different places and and good doesn't have to be a specific thing like it could be a sandwich bar that's just badass and i don't know if well i'm sure you did see the um chris bianco uh netflix pizza of course uh, show uh which was by far my favorite and and yeah. like and and that i mean that's not that's the most gastronomic thoughtful loving thing in the form of that edible plate the pizza do you know what i mean and like you know i mean that's that that show i think every chef should watch actually as Chris is definitely, I mean, that's the one that I wanted to see more than anything. I mean, I love yeah. Chris. Yeah. And it delivered, right? The thing is, we all wanted, we all wanted it to be the best. Yeah. And it was, but it actually was the best. <laughs> and I think, I think that's because he's he's just so authentic and and like people and pizza just runs through his blood. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. just like <laughs> you just like you, you know, but I think um you know, it takes years for chefs to find out, like, you know, what is it that I want, and and um, and maybe and maybe ne maybe we never fully discover that. I mean, it's a journey, isn't it? Yeah, it is, and I think that that journey, you know, and like you said, the different experiences you have along the way shape that journey. It's like, which road do you take to get to the final? I mean, and there is no, I think one thing that everybody thinks. And and I I was one of them who thought that there was a certain specific way to get to the end, right? That you had to do certain things to get there. But there is no specific way. No. Everybody's going to get to that to where they want to be on their own road, on their own journey, because that shapes who you are. And I feel like, you know, the moment you hear people say, well, I should have never taken that job or I should have never done that. But that's... I, I disagree with that because whether it's a great experience or a bad experience, it does shape you in a, in a good way, right? It makes, makes you realize things, things maybe you shouldn't do things. Maybe you should do. Right. Yeah. Oh, and I think it's always good to have contrast and context and reference. And if it's all light, you can't truly appreciate what is good and what is brilliant and special. If you've never seen what normal or bad looks like. Um, but at the same time, if something's really bad, don't hang around too long. Of course, <laughs> I mean, of course. Yeah, there's, all, there's always, I mean, in this day and age, I, I don't know one restaurant anywhere that isn't short-staffed. Yeah. I, I mean, it's worse than ever. It's worse than ever. I, I think it's I think it's twice as bad as it was when I came out of college. Um, it's, I mean, every, every, and it's quite, and, you know, it's quite sad, really, because, you know, because we, what what you just end up with is still lovely restaurants and doing some lovely things, but they're 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 because they haven't got the labour, they're just centralising more bits. So you know the the mayonnaises that were made on site are now made off site, or the pickles that used to be like your thing, like that you just procured some. I mean, and you start adding it all up, and all those little things they do count, and 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 you see that even even in uh, Italy. I remember when. Um, I'm going back a few years, but like in Italy, about I don't know, ten or twelve years ago, um, they did the forty-six hour week, and I'm like, forty-six hour week? <laughs> That's like half a week's work. What are you talking about? Yeah. Like, you know, we were averaging eighty to a hundred hours like back in the day, um, and uh, and certainly when I was training the fifteen students, 
Um, I mean, look, you could say that's not healthy or that's not right. Or, you know, of course, you can debate all those things and that's cool. But the two things, like whether you're a young chef or a student, um, if you're doing 80 hours a week, you're also not spending money and you're also progressing at a faster rate. You're learning twice as much. I mean, it's a numbers game. You can't fake it. Like if you've gone from 80 hours a week to 46, right, you're spending more money and learning less and progressing less and you're slowing down your career. Like if you're in your mid thirties and you don't want to do 80 hours, God bless you. That's fine. I get it. You got family, you got a life, you got this, but if you're young, you know, full of energy and, and like, absolutely. You want to propel, you want to like, you don't want to like sit simmering for like 10 years and then wonder why you're still like just a chef to party. It's like, do you know what I mean? It's sort of like, I mean, when, when they did the 46 hour week in Europe, basically what happened was all my students had too much energy and would, just went from not getting in trouble to getting back in trouble again and then um when you go to italy the pasta and tortellinis and capolacci's that were made every single day got done once a week and then they got trade up and frozen and they were still decadent and, and artisanal and, and and excellent but they weren't made every day and and they didn't do that because they wanted to it's just because they used to have six in the kitchen and now they've got two um because they because they just had to cut the staff because they couldn't afford it, right? But man, it's it's um yeah, it's a, it's it's definitely an interesting time at the moment. Um, I do I do think the government could do more to support real restaurants. I I, I actually it's, it's a craft, right? And let's talk about that. Like it is yeah. a you it is a lot of people say, well, how do you become creative? And I think that there's there's a mix, right? Understanding history first before you try to create one, and two, understanding that there's a craftsmanship to what is cooking, right? There's techniques, just like building a house, you have to follow rules so the house doesn't fall down. Yeah. It's the same thing in cooking. Yeah, there's there's senior chefs that are employed that can't fillet a fish. They don't know the difference between a round fish and a flat fish, you know, a fillet or a tranche. How about butchering you know, a chicken? Like, yeah, can, exactly. Can break, yeah, yeah. Break me, yeah, break me down a chicken, it, spatchcock it, one. Or... No, it's disgraceful. It's disgraceful. And it's so it's like... um and it's not their fault per se. I mean, of course, it's their fault because it has to be. But, but, but it. This is something that would happen in every restaurant. So, in in my mind, anyway, because because I know you and anyone else that runs or works in restaurants, like uh, of all the in industries on the planet, like how hard is it to make a dollar out of a plate of food? Like it's hard. hard. Uh, out of a ten dollar plate, twenty dollar plate, like it ain't easy money. It's not falling up out. It's no. It's much easier to sell sneakers. You know, like much well, that, that's a hot uh, market. Uh, right uh, now. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like, but 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 I think um, for, just just from a very just from a brutal and boring point, like from the government, like a restaurant like yours is taxed the same as a fast food joint, and they're both bundled into the same industry as if they're the same, and one not only procures ingredients from uh, from largely more ethical sources and small farms and interesting things like that, which I think is generally fair for anyone trying to run a decent restaurant, neighborhood restaurant at any level, but they're also, they're training the next generation of chefs. And then on top of all of that, um, invisibly, the, the thickest, stickiest, most important culture is of that. That is that is what it is. I mean, you can't have anything more San Francisco or New York than that. 
Do you know what I mean? Like local dude cooking local stuff. Yeah. You know, in that generation. Like, and and you, but no one no one ever puts a value on the on on the culture of that. So so you know, it's if you want to make money, like having a franchise of you know Domino's is much more effective. You know, definitely, of course it is. It's all signed, sealed, and delivered. Um, but it's also, you know, not that they don't have a place in the ecosystem, but they're so dominant along with many others. And, um, you know, all the people that want to cook and butcher and marinate and cook live. I mean, look, Dan, I, I heard the other day, um, there's a restaurant group in the UK called the Ivy, right? And they're sort of like upper mid market. And it, it used to be a one-off that was quite special. And now it's kind of a lot of trendy looking restaurants all around the country. I heard the other day that they're grilling steaks off-site, chilling it, bagging it, and reheating it on-site with a probe to your liking. I mean, like, come on, man. I mean, and then an accountant can go, well, great, we can get a cheaper extraction because you don't need to have, like, dirty smoke and you don't need a grill on-site and you don't need to have that grill section. And it's just like, so, you know. There's a, I mean, there's a time and a place for that. And it's called being in the air. That's called being in like in a plane, getting a grilled steak. And that, that's, that's the technology that you use to do that. Right. It's like, it's not in a posh restaurant where, you know, the waiters are wearing white aprons and they got expensive wine and they're, you know, so it, it's a, it's taking the, the love of the craft out of the craft and putting the dollar first. I know those chefs. I know loads of chefs that work in those kitchens, those exact kitchens. And they pay decent and uh, they work with some decent people uh, and they're miserable, just plating up. Everything's done off site. It's, it's boring. <laughs> so you're on book tour right now. Do you want to talk a little bit about your book? Yeah, man. I mean, um, one pound wonders. Um, I mean, I think it's an interesting one for, for, I don't know what the mix of your audience is, but um, if it's more chefy or is it's general or, or whatever. Everybody, but... it's all about. Okay, so like um, one pound wonders. It. So first up, my job is to try and talk and speak to the consumer now and how they're feeling now. Um, and it's not the same as ten years ago, and it ain't the same as twenty three years ago when the Naked Chef kicked off. Um, so I, I'm using different mechanisms to speak to as many people as possible in this case one pan which it's called it's called like one one simple one pan wonders um but really it should have been called the low washing up cookbook and and that is very erotic to a lot of people these days um people don't like washing up so my job was to keep the ingredients in a dish minimum never more than eight um keep uh flashy equipment like really, I, mean, I try and just use box graters and speed peelers and a knife and a board and, you know, simple things. Um, keep the washing up very low. Um, you know, my I want it to be an everyday cookbook. So it, it has to have the right sort of uh, pie chart of everyday, healthy and indulgent um, yeah. cover, you know, from breakfast, brunch, lunch, dinner, you know, midnight munchies. Uh, we've got, you know, humble little, you know, uh, gorgeous cheesy toasties um, where I give a little recipe for if you've run out of bread for a, a really quick little flatbread that you can make, you know, there and then cook in a pan and, and have all that gooey cheesy goodness 
uh, in a toasty, all the way up to sort of like a treating pork belly, like a porchetta, rubbing it, rolling it, roasting it. And then with all the drippings and, you know, lovely roasted fennel, turning that into a lovely risotto, all from one pan. So kind of dinner party material. So, uh, you know, look, my job's to, yeah, quite, do quite a lot, really. You know, I want to take people around the world. So I, I, in my head, I try and give you what I know you want. So you've got to have that right mix of comfort food that is undeniable um, and, and with a clever twist, but also introduce a couple of like weird and wonderful dishes that I think you might love um soon do you know what i mean and like there's always balance. you know I, giving them a balance of of yeah what they know they want and what they don't know they want yet yeah it's when i write a cookbook it, it's kind of like it's almost like think of it as inventing a new board game and like you, you can't just have a, like a load of like kind of you know chips and bit of paper and just say right the game is nothing you know, it just wouldn't work. You need rules, right? And you need structure. So the rules and structure that I give myself are to make it the most easy user-friendly cookbook to the end user. That's the way I look at it. So before I've even written a recipe, there's like a, a load of rules. And then I just write. And I and, I, and in this book, I, I wrote from quite nerdy, geeky data of like what are you what are most people buying in their weekly shop every week week in week out so in a way i want you to be able to cook a lot of these recipes because i know i know that i've made recipes up using stuff that i know you probably have already got in the fridge so we're using like chicken thighs and drumsticks you know we're using salmon fillets like we're not kind of like getting into sort of like turbots or kind of like delicious fish there's no kind of you know um uh flashy ingredients at all um it's kind of supermarket staples um that i know you probably have so that's that's this book it's been really well received so i'm, I'm super chuffed and um it's funny like book sales don't lie like you know you know if you're listening right you know you you, you can fake a view and alike you know everyone sort of like thinks like everything's gauged around this social media sort of bullshit that's that's like they mean nothing because they're free <laughs> like the minute you gotta spend you know 35 dollars or you know i don't know what a cookbook costs in this country what is it like it's like 35 dollars. so I, I don't know if they do in england they're always half price but um yeah i mean spending money is a true vote so if 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 it works then you know you've you've hit the nail on the head that's awesome. So I know you're on limited time because you got something else to do today. So let's do a rapid fire question, uh, questions here and there's no wrong answer and we'll have some fun. Ready to go? Go for it. Coffee or tea? Coffee. With milk or without? Depends how hungover I am. With. <laughs> With. <laughs> Hamburger, hot dog? Hamburger. Ketchup, mustard? M mustard whole grain or dijon whole grain beef or pork pork chicken duck by the way no one really m most people don't know what good pork tastes like so if you think that that's weird then you need to try good pork because good pork is better than good beef it's anyway mo moving on sorry sorry uh a, a chicken or duck i mean duck like good duck 
I mean, again, but like chicken always wins because it's always there. It's always there. Uh, of course. For me, I mean, I love that. Sashimi nigiri. Sashimi. Sea urchin caviar. Caviar. Lobster crab. Crab. Risotto paella. Risotto. Hamoni berico. Prosciutto. The Hamoni Iberico. Dark beer, light beer? Dark. Okay. So do you want it off the pump or do you want it off a draft? I always like a pump. For those of you who don't know what that means, that means that they drink that beer room temp off of, of an old English. I, there's no way I'm, I don't, I, I actually don't drink anymore, Jamie. I don't know if you knew that. No. Um, so hang on. I got a couple more here. Um, pasta or noodles? Pasta. Ravioli dumplings. Ravioli. I, I'm so biased though, you know, I do like a dumpling. I don't want to get into I don't want to upset anyone by saying it's kind of the same thing. Well, this is a debate that we have with a lot of folks because people say, yeah. well, is pasta the same thing as noodles, but they're different, right? There's mm. rice noodles, there's yam noodles, mm. you know, there's tons of different styles, there's hand pulled, yeah. there's extruded, there's you know. So that's always been a pretty pretty I do love I love the world of ravioli though. Oh yeah. I love I love the world of like they're like little treats. Yeah. Burrito taco. Taco. Lambrusco champagne. Champagne. White wine, red wine. Red wine. Dark spirits, light spirits. Dark spirits. But also I'm so partial to light ones. Basically, I'm not fussy. I really like tequila, cachaca, bourbon, whiskey, gin, what I've realized is that good stuff is always good. Like bad tequila is terrible. You could like take the wallpaper off with that. That that's that's pretty much in my mind what is it with everything. Quality mm. is king, right? Flavor's king. Yeah. I mean, most people in Britain think that tequila is disgusting. And that's because their reference point is free tequila shots in nightclubs in the 80s and 90s. And I don't think they worked out that A, it was at the end of the night, so nothing's gonna end well, and B generally anything free is cheap. So it's basically ethanol, <laughs> ethanol with some taint, you know, I mean, I mean, but yeah. Oh, chocolate or fruit? Fruit. Okay. Guilty pleasure. Are you going to give me a choice or do I just have to come out with it? You could say whatever you want. All right. So guilty pleasure, like you mean like a filthy little secret? Yeah, like like food. food secret. That okay, you so I have, I do have a, a filthy secret. It's very simple. So um, I don't know where your audience comes from, but in Britain is a potato chip or crisps as we call it. That's called a hula hoop, right? Do you know? Like it's do you know hula hoops? I don't. If maybe I, I could probably okay. find them because there's a place down the street. So so they kind of they're they're about like two centimeters you know, what in, in diameter, uh, wide. Um, and they're about, you know, two centimeters thick. They're like little tube, little tube kind of crisps. Right. Anyway, sorry, let's get onto this. So I get some hula hoops. Then I get some Westcombe cheddar, which is a very good cheddar in Britain. And I just slice it. And then I get the hula hoop and I press it into the Westcombe cheddar. Therefore impregnating 
the hula hoop, which is a filthy everyday little potato chip with one of the world's best cheddars, right? So it's a bit like like Beauty and the Beast, right? Um, um, and then I have like whiskey on the rocks um, and then I find a quiet place and I take all the hula hoops out and I basically do it, impregnate the cheese into every one and then I just eat them and woe betide anyone that comes close to me in that time. It's just a little intimate moment for me, cheese, and a hula hoop. And nice. A whiskey, and a whiskey. And a whiskey. Favorite candy? Ooh. Um, probably. Um, favorite candy? Ooh. Um, I used to have like a little sweet shop in my lockers at school when I was a when I was a teenager. Oh, you were a peddler, huh? You were a peddler. I was a, I was a peddler. It's hilarious. Like I'd be, I'd be, I'd be doing a documentary about me if that, if they, if, if, <laughs> if I, if I was around when I was a kid. Um, so yeah, I think my favorite is probably, um, oh man, there's so many choices. Uh, probably aniseed twist, old school. That's old school. But I did like cola cubes and pear drops. Um, Annecy twist is is an unusual choice. For me, very good. So you you know the one thing it's very difficult for me to find here that I found a shop finally that carries them: jelly babies and wine gums. Mm. Do you not have them over here? We don't get we no. They have to be imported. They get imported over. For, there's one shop down the street that that sells them, and they occasionally have them. And those really? end up in my Christmas stocking because they're <laughs> they are amazing, like super for a gummy bear. They're like a gummy. They're super clean and delicious. But so, folks, Jamie's got to get on to his next thing. But I want to thank you so much for being here. And if folks make sure you go out, check out Jamie's books. I have a literally a whole wall over here, Jamie. The, Bless the, you. Those are there. You go. Yeah. Every single one and a bunch of Gennaros in there. So there you go. That, old coot a big hug for me <laughs> and a sloppy kiss and i'm gonna get him on here next he would love to do it um and i'll speak to him next week and and uh, yeah you guys should definitely uh have a nice little chat he's so good he's so charming he's still cooking like a beast and um yeah i'll i'll, I'll chat him up for you and get him on it'd be so good jamie right, thank man. you again i appreciate it everybody please go check out jamie's new book one pot Super great, super excited. And uh, again, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks, my friend. Listen, you take care. All right, cheers. Cheers, brother.